Bridget. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the director of marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Roger Kirsten, a PT and the co-owner of One PT in Traverse City, Michigan. Roger was born in the Netherlands and has built nine clinics throughout his 31-year career. Paul and Roger talk through how Roger acquires new patients with one simple tactic, crafting a consistent patient experience, and why you should consider adding a free trial to your clinic strategy. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. Of those nine clinics over the years, do you feel like you're running the same playbook every single time? Or or like, what is that? If I were to like call you a year after you got your first clinic, like what's different now? What are you doing different, you think? So historically, you know, I go back a long time, right? And so I practiced before direct access. So when my wife, Heather, and I started our first clinic in Manistee, Michigan, most of the physicians didn't even know that physical therapists could be independent practitioners. So our entire marketing approach was, and this is a small community, small town, uh, our entire marketing approach was meet with the doctors and beg for patients. You know, that's essentially what it comes down to. And then we were lucky to be given a, a chance by a couple of doctors. And then, of course, you, you return happy patients that talk about good results, and then the ball starts rolling. So that was kind of what we mostly did. And we grew like a multi-practice, multi-location physical therapy business out of that, basically wholly based on physician relationships, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, the world has changed and it's changed dramatically with regards to the marketplace for physical therapy. You know, number one, we have a lot more competitors And I'm not just talking about private practices, but I'm also talking about the influence of, you know, hospital systems privately or physician-owned physical therapy practices. I mean, you name it, the landscape has changed quite dramatically. But I think the biggest impact really is, is that there are far, far, far fewer physicians that are independent operators. And if they work for a hospital system, they're beholden to the system and the system will just tell them, you refer in the system or else. And, you know, that has a huge impact because there's no sense in trying to develop a relationship with these doctors because you're just not going to get their referrals. So interesting, if you consider also the direct access component, so is that with the reality now that people can go directly to a physical therapist, we now have the opportunity to go and market directly to consumer. And for me, that is, I see that as the biggest opportunity for our field. I think we're doing very poorly in that regard. And I think we can do way, 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 way better. And we're behind, you know, people like chiropractors and even dentists, for instance, in how we do that and how we focus on that and, you know, what kind of money we invest in things like that. But that is a huge shift in how I run my current business versus the way I used to do it. So, I mean, I still go out to physicians. I try to pinpoint the physicians that I think are pretty independent and responsive to my message, which is basically, you know, we focus in my practice, in my business, we focus on customer service 
as a first, actually, and then patient-focused results as a second. So I have a lot of experience. I do a lot of hands-on care. We get amazing results, but you can't sell results on the front end. People experience results after a while. And it's the customer service element that is just so powerful, I think, to building a practice, especially if you focus your marketing and all your efforts on the consumers directly. So that's a big change. Okay, so from my viewpoint, you're in the minority where you're thinking about marketing. And see, this is kind of a loaded question, but like, why is that? Like, why don't more clinic owners do this? Like off the top of my head, I feel like I can only think of two clients or frankly, two practice owners I've ever talked to in the last year, you being one of them, that actually has a direct understanding of marketing. That's not to say that other practice owners don't do marketing. It's just that they, if they're doing it at all, they're just paying it and outsourcing it. And it's almost like it's spray and pray, just hoping it works. So I guess the question for you is, is why don't more people do what you're doing? You know, and I don't mean that in a weird way, by the way, but. <laughs> no, it's a really valid question. And I totally share your view. I think your view is actually probably representative of the U.S. physical therapy market. So I think there's some historical context here again. And I think there's also some educational deficits here. There's not a single physical therapist that goes to PT school, actually, whether in Europe or here that gets any information about running a practice and what that means and what's involved and, and, you know, even the basics. So, and then, you know, historically, physical therapy is really kind of tied to the physician basically coming up with, hey, this patient needs physical therapy and here are the things you should do. So we come from a tradition of executing someone else's orders. I mean, to this day, if I get a referral, it doesn't say physical therapy referral, it says physical therapy orders, something that bugs me to no extent, but that is where we come from, right? And if you're in that kind of a mindset, then going out and promoting your profession as an independent, you know, first line care provider is kind of juxtapositioned, right? So I think that that's part of the puzzle. The other thing is, is that in healthcare in general, I think marketing is looked at as something you do when you're selling bicycles or software and not so much physical therapy services or healthcare services. And I think that's totally misunderstanding the concept of marketing. Okay. Sometimes when I talk to physical therapists about marketing, I change the word to promoting what we do, right? Just to kind of go like, hey, we're doing something that people really benefit from, right? I don't know if you heard about this, but the APTA just came out with a huge paper talking about the economic value of physical therapy to the U.S. society. And basically, the baseline out of that, and I haven't really read through all of it, just the highline issues, is that if physical therapy is involved in a case of, you know, and they have a number of cases, but say knee arthritis or urinary incontinence, of all things, there is a significant savings. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars per case to society as a whole. Just because physical therapy is a low-cost, highly effective service within the healthcare context of the United States as a whole, promoting that and talking about that is not a bad thing, right? That is a really, really good thing, not only for your practice, but for your local community and for society at large. And I think we need to get off our butts, get out of our clinics, and start talking to people about 
the value of physical therapy. I mean, it's still the case that many of the patients that I see for the first time have a very poor understanding of what it is we can do, actually do, what physical therapy looks like, what it's all about, and the cost involved in it. And I think that those are the combination of things. So the the answer, the quick answer to your question is traditionally we're not good at it and we're kind of indoctrinated not to be on that side. And then on the other side, I think we're too shy to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, what we do really matters. It's really great for you. And you should really see a physical therapist first for, you know, in my case, musculoskeletal, that's my stuff musculoskeletal injuries, because, you know, we can fix nine out of 10 without you having to worry about $1,500 MRIs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but like you, I'm curious what you think about this. So I'm relatively new to healthcare. I definitely have not been in it for 31 years like you, but so I do a lot of tech investing and stuff like that. And when I look at a tech founder or CEO in my head, and when I say tech, I mean like consumer tech, B2B software, that sort of thing. When I look at one of those people and I say, what are the top four metrics? If they don't know these four metrics, I'm like, oh, nope, we're done. Because they, you know, if you don't understand the business, then we have a problem. So for example, in the tech world, you know, those four major metrics are customer acquisition cost, lifetime value of the customer, churn rate, and monthly revenue. From your perspective, when you think about whether it's your practices or let's just say you're at a dinner table looking at another practice owner, do you have like a heuristic or a pattern you look for where you're like, okay, if this person knows these three or five numbers around their met, their business, like they're a serious practice owner? Does that question make sense? Yeah, but I have to kind of nuance my answer here. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. And this is a, a frustration I'm happy to bring up. But so I'm a manual therapy specialist. I was trained at the University of Amsterdam. Manual therapy was half of the stuff we learned how to do. So for me, that's kind of the first thing I go to. If I can't put my hands on someone and feel what's going on and manipulate that, I have a hard time providing what I think is good care. But if you look at the reimbursable units, manual therapy is reimbursed at a certain rate. It is reimbursed at a lower rate than even putting someone on a bicycle. I love exercise, don't get me wrong, but that makes no sense to me. So when we're talking about these metrics, I had an interview with a physical therapist and she works for a national chain. I won't name the brand, but I told her, I said, well, we're a manual therapy centric clinic. So how do you feel about that? And she's like, well, that's kind of interesting because at my current place, I have a monthly meeting and we look at, you know, my billings. And if, manu if I bill manual therapy more than 10% of the time, I get reprimanded. And I totally understand that from an economical perspective because it's a lower reimbursed unit. Let's just say the unit is, is 15 minutes. What you do in that 15 minutes matters for your reimbursement. So if you look at it purely economically, you just go down the list and you say, that one is reimbursed the most, so let's do that one all the time. But that may not be in the best interest of the patient, and there's my dilemma. So you know, the metrics that are really interesting to me is how many new patients do you see on a weekly basis? How many visits do you do per patient? So these are interesting variables, right? Because I do relatively many initial evaluations, but compared to national standards, I see people for fewer amount of visits. So I'm okay with that because I know I'm getting them better in that amount of time and I'm not just gonna do 12 because the insurance pays for that if they're done at eight. So. 
those are some of the metrics I look at. And then the other metric that is interesting, of course, is what are you actually charging out to this patient? And is that realistic? Okay. So most insurances will say something along the lines of like, we're not reimbursing more than four units per session. And the four units would represent basically an hour of physical therapy. Okay. The way my practice works, I rarely see people for an hour. So when I look at metrics, like let's just say if I would be interested in purchasing another clinic and we're taking over the staff there, then it gets very interesting for me to kind of normalize the situation because I feel very strongly that we're producing the best results for our patients based on the types of treatments that I do. And that has a certain implication for what our charges look like. So it's way easier to look at a charge optimization perspective but that maybe kind of bypasses the type of quality care, the vision you have for the practice, if you understand what I'm saying. So if I'm looking at a practice and they're doing four charges for every single patient and the charges basically look the same from patient to patient, for me, a lot of red flags go up because I'm like, well, how is that possible? Because I have a person that I just do dry needling with and they're here for 15 minutes. And then I have another person that's here for an hour. Yeah, they get four charges. But there's a lot more variability in that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. What I am interested in are things, for instance, as like, because what I'm basically saying is I'm willing to accept a lower reimbursement per session in order to execute on my vision of care. So, but that also means that some other like things because of my net revenue is essentially lower or my gross revenue is essentially lower. So I have to be really careful with what I spend on other things. So for instance, I'm very sensitive to square footage. So I basically say, I want my metric for looking at FTEs per square foot, which I think is something that's pretty interesting because rent is still a big expense out of your expense categories. I want it 500 square foot per provider or less. So if you think about that, if you're renting 2,000 square foot and you have two providers, then I think you're leaving a lot of money on the table. And I think those are metrics that I'm way more comfortable with, with regards to, okay, what does it need to look like and how can I optimize things? So for me, that practice should really have four providers, you know, running full steam. It's interesting. So actually, on a related note, somebody actually emailed me within the last 24 hours and said, hey, do you have a sample financial model for a startup practice or, you know, an existing practice? And I said, no, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have that, but uh, I'm surprised there's not one on, on the internet somewhere. So question slash comment, man, if you put this together on a Google spreadsheet, we, I think we should promote this. Because I think the way you're thinking about it, if I had to guess, like I would say that, I mean, seriously, right in this moment, as, like, as I'm thinking about this live, I can only think of two practice owners I've met, you being one of them, that actually has that level of granularity in your head and you can just articulate it in a conversation like this. And then, you know, most other practice owners I talk to, they're good people, but it's like, hey, so how's the business? And they're like, eh, I think it's good. Yeah, I think that's too bad. And I, I understand exactly what you're saying because I have run into that many, many times in talking to colleagues about this. And there, there seems to also be like, I love talking about this stuff. But there just aren't that many colleagues that love digging into this. And I think it's a really missed opportunity. I really think from two perspectives, really, I think that a lot of practice owners would do well to really, really think about why they're doing what they're doing and to get that vision clear. Because 
we make decisions based on that. And if we have a very clear vision of what do we want the care to be that we provide and what place we want to take in our community, we have a very clear idea communicated about how we want people to feel when they come into our clinic and when they leave our clinic. That's paramount. Everything is based on that, okay? And in a nutshell, it's it's very simple. It's not complicated stuff, but you have to find something that you fully 100% believe in and then execute on that, make sure that everybody understands this is what we're trying to achieve. And for us, we kind of summarize it as saying, we want to be like the bright spot in someone's day. Okay, so they're here for 45 minutes. We want them to, if they're sitting around the dinner table in the evening and they're getting asked, hey, how was your day? We want the visit to us to come up as a bright spot in their day. And we will do a lot to accomplish that. And it's all in the realm of customer service. But, you know, it is also like talking about what are we doing in physical therapy? What are, are the goals here? Are we achieving your goals? Okay. So I think that that element is really important. If you have that clear, the rest of your job as a practice owner, I think, is running a really tight ship and really, really trying to optimize that. Because if you're doing such a good job that you're the bright spots in someone's day, we need to expose everyone to that. Okay, so there's your kind of your growth strategy is really, if we do this right, let's get it to everybody. And that requires you to run a pretty tight ship, understand your expenses, understand the whole thing. So you can prepare for, you know, hiring new people and moving to a new space. The space I'm in is purely meant as a startup location. I have a little bit of work to do, but once we get to a certain number, we're going to start looking for a new space so we can grow. I'm at a square footage of about a thousand square foot. I'm in a really prime, prime, prime location. You should see this clinic. It's amazing. View out of the bay at the water. I mean, it's amazing, but it's a thousand square foot and I can't grow here. I can't attach anything to it. So we already have two providers here. I made this clinic so that it can do three providers, two PTs and one PTA. So we're running at that point at like 300 square foot per provider, which is highly efficient. But that, you know, at some point it's just too much. And yeah, and then we hit the wall. So then we're going to go and say, okay, well, What's our jump? You know, are you going to go 1500 or are we going to go 2000? And that kind of depends on, on the data, really. I mean, how have we been able to build this? And what does it mean if I have one day less of patient care? Because that's what it's going to come down to. And how do I turn that one day of less patient care, providing the care into promoting the business to the point where I can reach my next financial targets? Yeah. Having chatted with you a couple of times now, I think that if I had to summarize your viewpoint, it is that most practice owners don't truly understand the business they're in. And maybe the second point related to that is that most practice owners don't value marketing as much as they should. Out of curiosity, what made you want to learn that stuff? I mean, were you always wired that way? Or like if we time traveled back to your first clinic would you be the same, Roger, like thinking about the square footage and the the marketing funnel and all that? Or what, if not, what triggered you? What made you do that change? I'm interested in data. If we take it way back, you know, I went to University of Amsterdam, but as soon as I graduated, I went to the U.S. So there was a reason for that, right? And the, and the reason was, yeah, I was al- already dating my, my current wife, but who's an American. But I really wanted to practice in the United States because I felt like I could 
practice the way I wanted to from a patient care perspective on the one hand, but from a business perspective at the other hand. So I, I was always interested in the business end of physical therapy as a, as a private practice and as a business. So I've been looking at this stuff for a long time, but I think that with time and trying different things and making a lot of mistakes comes some clarity. So for me, I've kind of arrived at a, at a time in my life, maybe at a time in my career where there are certain things that I believe in because I know it to be true, at least for me. I have some very strong beliefs that I think that if you have those, it makes doing business easier. It comes down to that vision. You know, it's like, I mean, let's ask practice owners, hey, why are you doing this? You know, why do you want to have your own business? Why did you decide to become a, you know, business owner? To me, that clarity is super, super important. And once you have that, and I don't think it's complicated. I just don't, I think people lose sight of it or they really don't consider it too much. Okay. And then what happens is you get into, you know, the whirlwind of life. I mean, and that's what happens to a lot of small business owners, including physical therapy practice owners, right? It's like, you know, it's busy. There's a lot of patients coming in. There's this billing nightmare, right? There's pre-authorizations and, oh gosh, I got to get on QuickBooks and what's this and what's that? And they're always putting out fires running behind the facts. And I think that if you take a step back, you say, well, that's not the ideal clinic that I have in mind. And I mean, for me, it comes down to really excelling at three different things. And that's providing patient care, which has to be paramount. I mean, you have to be able to produce an exceptional product. And for us, again, it's super high customer service, customer appreciation, right? And the results that the patients want, okay? That sounds kind of logical, but if you think about it, oftentimes it's like, I get so many patients from physical therapists. I'm like, oh, you had physical therapy before. What did they do? Well, I did these 12 exercises for 12 sessions over. To me, that's like insanity. People come in, they have a very specific need. Okay, you need to understand that need and deliver on it. So every session, my patient comes in. I'm like, one of the things you want to achieve is be able to sleep through the night on your shoulder. How's that going? Okay, we're we making some headway there. I'm very kind of confrontational with that because if, if what I'm doing is not producing those results or, and sometimes it takes time, that's okay, that's understood, but we need to be making some headway. And if not, we need to pivot and we need to try some different things. Okay. And again, I think that's where hands-on excels. But anyway, so the patient care element is, of course, and that's the one that everybody understands, right? Everybody goes like, oh yeah, yeah, I do that, you know, but don't forget that there's two other elements to running a business. And if you don't form at those levels, it doesn't matter how good you are. You need to operate your business, okay? And you need to market your business. Whether you like it or not, you need <laughs> you need more patience through the door, okay? And you can go like, well, if I build it, they will come. But I don't, I don't think that's the reality of the world these days, right? I mean, it's like, you need to be out there. You need to be talking to people. And of course, I get lots of patients from my patients. And that's the word of mouth element, but it's just not good enough. It's not enough in this marketplace. I also don't think it should be kind of, I feel like, Hey, if you're doing a really good job and you're really, you should be out there. You should be talking to people. You should be promoting this. Maybe I'm jumping back a few minutes, but when you say, um, you know, crafting that, that amazing customer experience out of curiosity, can you be more specific? What does that sound like? Like when you say that, I imagine like, 
when I go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, they always finish the, every sentence with my pleasure. And like that, like it's just a little touch that's probably yeah. one part of a million things they do to make that customer experience really great. But what are the specifics for you, if you can share? I think that one of the things you're hitting up with the Chick-fil-A is actually a really good example, I think, because it's nice to hear it's my pleasure, but I think what really makes the difference is the consistency. So number one for us is reliability. So if you send us an email, if you send us a text, if you send us, we have patients texting us a lot. We make sure that we reply to that within a day, always. When you come through the door here, there's always someone that will welcome you by your name, smile, and give you a nice greeting. Always, 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 always. But for us, because we started this clinic from scratch and the space we rented had never been anything else, we actually designed the whole clinic like colors and things with that kind of idea in mind. You know, if I'd have to describe, a lot of people say, well, it kind of feels like a little bit like a spa here. You know, so it's those kind of color tones and things like that. We did that on purpose. So I think it's about crafting a whole experience, but it's based on reliability and responsiveness. And then ultimately, of course, relationships. But you can't build a relationship until you have a little time to do that. So that's the thing that's really, I think, sticks I know a little bit about my patients. I talk to them every time they come in. You know, one of the things that we do in my practice is we work in a team format. So one PT, one PTA. And between the two of us, we see everybody, but we see everybody together. So there's never a patient in my clinic that I don't see, but I may not see them for an hour. So even, even when I have like a, maybe a long COVID patient who primarily does, you know, therapeutic activities in the gym, she's still going to come into my treatment room. I'm going to sit her down. I'm going to say, now, how are things going? How's this? How's that? Before she goes. And that is very consistent. It's very reliable. And it gives people a sense that they get the ear of the, like the highest trained person always. So in a nutshell, it's consistency blended with like hey, we love what we're doing and we're nice people and we're going to take care of you. This is so fascinating because, I mean, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, I don't know, but uh, your viewpoint is very original. I think Thomas can back me up on this. Like, I don't think anybody I've met yet talks with this level of sort of detail about it. So that, that's amazing. Let's just make a scenario up here for a minute. Let's just say Erica is a PT somewhere and she wants to start a practice. And she came to you and said, hey, Roger, what do I need to think about? And I, and I know this is a big question, but just if you guys were meeting for a 10, 15 minute coffee and she asked you that question, I'm curious, what would you tell her? What You would say probably something like, hey, look, before you do this, you need to think about X, Y, and Z, or you need to do X, Y, and Z. What would you tell that aspiring practice owner that to think about or do before they even file the business license or spend any money? Well, I think the primary message would be is... Like, how certain are you that you can produce good results with your patients, okay? And it's almost like an opener question, right? It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what this is all about, right? So I'm assuming they have a high level of confidence there. And the reason I would ask that question first is that it also is the thing that they're probably most focused on. Hey, you're a fantastic physical therapist. You've been doing this for a while now. You should really have your own place. That is a thing that I think a lot of practitioners hear, and it's a huge trap, right? Because 
the whole idea of running a physical therapy practice is about running a business, okay? And yeah, your result, what you produce is, is let's hope, good patient outcomes, but all this other stuff has to be in place. So my next conversation piece would be like, well, that's fantastic that you feel that way, but do you realize that if that's all you're good at, you're going to fail? And that, I think, for a lot of people is an eye-opener, and it's like, well, what do you mean, you know? You need to be able to operate a business. You need to be able to excel at marketing. And this is not excel as in like you need to become like a marketing professional, but you need to get really good at talking to people about what it is you do, how you're different, what the value of it is to people. And it's not so much that you have to learn like how to do it. You have to just understand how to communicate your passion. But if you don't go out and do it, it's just not going to go. You know, the marketplace tends to be too competitive for people that sit back and hope for the best. It's just not good enough. And the operating of the business, it seems like, what is all that? I take great pride at like once a week doing my QuickBooks, checking all my checklists of things. Did this happen? Did that happen? Did that happen? And invariably, I also work in a whirlwind, right? When we get off the phone, I have like, you know, four more patients that are waiting for me. So I'm back in the whirlwind and forgot, you know, start to forget about this. So I need to have checklists and invariably, which is of course the purpose of the checklist, there are things that didn't get done that I thought I maybe had done or whatever. Anyway, I recheck myself, check what you can learn from the previous week, fix some issues and then move forward in the next week. To me, I would get very nervous if I didn't do that. I get very nervous if I don't know where we are with my QuickBooks, where we are with my P&Ls, where we are with my chart reviews and my charge reviews and so on and so forth. It is how I keep a finger on the pulse. And then maybe as a tie into that kind of discussion is you really need to early on figure out what you're gonna do yourself and what you're gonna have other people do and what kind of costs may be associated with that. I mean, at the very early stages, you know, Heather and I, and she really is my business partner. Without her, you wouldn't see any of this stuff you see here. So our discussion was very early on. How are we going to do our billing? So we outsource our billing, okay? And we do that for a very specific purpose is that starting out as a small clinic, our options would basically be have Heather do it, which means she can't do other things like excel at hospitality in my clinic at the front desk which is what drives the business, to be honest. Or am I going to find someone local or am I going to go with an industry specialist? And that was our choice to do it that way. Same thing with like, you know, I'm not going to do my own taxes. I mean, I run my own QuickBooks, but I'm not going to do my own taxes. Who's going to do that? And you really need to think through that because one of the biggest traps is trying to put on too many hats and you just basically are not going to be good at half of that stuff. So you're better off outsourcing some things, but have clarity about that from the get-go. These should be decisions that you make before you go look for a space, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's interesting to me that practice ownership is so similar to tech company ownership. And I don't think if I just said that, I don't think most people would agree with me, but just like you, when people ask me like, oh, should I start this thing or whatever? I usually start with a very similar question that you, than you as you, but worded slightly different. I say, well, talk to me about what your perfect Tuesday looks like. Let's get specific. What time do you want to start work? What time do you want to end? What do you want the perfect Tuesday to look like? And then, you know, they finally explain it. I want to take a long lunch or whatever it might be. 
and say, okay, all right, now let's work backwards. What's it going to take to make that happen? Because, you know, there's, you got to have software developers and you got to have marketers. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, within about 10 minutes, they realize really quickly that their vision of entrepreneurship is very different than the reality of entrepreneurship. And so the goal is not to scare them away, but to really give them a, a realistic view of what they're about to walk into. Yeah, I think that's really important. You see so many practices where if I look at it from a distance, I'm like, in my field, generally people have really have their heart in the right place. But, you know, if you look at their business, you go like, there's so many things here that could be like a hundred times better. And none of it is very complicated. And sometimes they actually have really good kind of idea of what could be better, but they somehow never get to it. And I think that has to do with how different it is to be a physical therapist and providing exceptional care versus running a business. Being a physical therapist, to me, it's very intuitive. And again, because I'm a hands-on therapist, I'm very kind of like connected with my patient. I try to feel what's going on. It's very intuitive. And I have the luck of having 30 years of doing this. So things come a lot easier to me than before, but it's very one-on-one, -on -one, very intuitive and very all-consuming. And then running a business is really, for me, it's like checklists, consistency in performing certain things, fixing small problems before they become big problems. And all of these things are kind of like not at all what it's like to be a physical therapist. And I think that that's part of the problem is that people find it really difficult to shift gears. Yeah, it's, you know, the other thing that I think is also interesting, the way you think about this, for anybody listening, so you said your practice right now, excuse me, is located in Traverse City, which for people that don't know, just a quick Google search will tell you, like the population of the city itself is 15, 16,000 people. And then I'm, I don't know what the metro area would be, but let's say it's, I'm going to make this up. Maybe it's 30,000 people. Nah, it's a lot larger. Is it a lot larger? Within a 45 minute radius, what would it be? We have to get you up here. Hey, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> hey, my sister lives in Lansing. Uh, I can use any excuse to get up there. Yeah, you're, you're close. You're close. Yeah. But sorry, real quick, off the top of your head, do you know, when you think about your addressable market from Traverse City, what is it in terms of a uh, number of people roughly? Or how many people live in that area? In the summer, it's 100,000. Okay, yep. In the winter, it's a lot fewer. <laughs> they go, they go <laughs> yeah. away, they're snowbirds, you know? The snowbirds, yeah, yeah. You know, the interesting thing to me is that you're, okay, so, you know, I don't want to give away any of your trade secrets or anything like that, but you've got this funnel, which, whether you know it or not, your funnel, the way you've talked about your funnels in the past, you look more, you operate more like a tech company. You probably know this, but you're operating more like we do in terms of, okay, what's our funnel and what are the steps through that funnel? And, and how do you build trust through that funnel and stuff like that? And you've made it work at the hyper-local level. Us as a software company, we, we're able to do that across the country. It's a big, big market. But my point is, you've been able to make this work in a region where the peak addressable market is 100,000 people that live in that area. I know we don't have like all the time in the world here, but where do you see marketing going? Let's just kind of pontificate here for a minute. So my understanding is your funnels today are heavily focused on Facebook ads and kind of driving awareness and pushing them through this funnel, building trust, and then bringing them in as patients. If you just had to guess based on what you know for the next year or two, are you still doing Facebook, you think? Or are there other platforms that you need to start experimenting with? You know, what, what does the future of marketing your practice look like, you think? I kind of differentiate two parts to my marketing approach. One is maybe, well, let's call it non-personal 
So that for me would be social media and stuff like that. Because when I talk about personal, the other end, I'm actually going to meet people in my local community. So if I talk about things like Facebook, maybe other locations on social media, I think that you need to have a really consistent message out there. And that should not sound strange to anybody, but it's still kind of complicated to do that. And there has to be a point to it, I think. I'm okay spending some money on Google and putting it on like physical therapists near me. I'm okay with that, but that's A, not very exciting to me and B, more like, I guess I should just do that marketing. So I'm using Facebook for very specific reasons. So I'm using Facebook to funnel people into my clinic for free workshops or presentations, right? So it has a very specific purpose. And that's nice because then you'll have an X amount of people showing up for some of those workshops. Most of those turn into patients because like, for instance, I'm doing next week, I'm doing a workshop on shoulders, right? Well, there's, I'm going to have maybe 14, 15 people in here. It's a small clinic, right? So I can can have more than that. Out of those, at least 12 are going to be my patients. I really like talking in front of people. So I have to say that that's, I don't have a barrier for that. (laughs) And I love it. And I, I love shoulders and I get people better. So anyway, so in that regard, I can very kind of delineate, okay, what am I spending on that? And what am I getting in return for that? That's super nice. It's not always possible. Other platforms, sure, but I really like that element of it driving towards something. Well, it's measurable. Yeah. Yeah, measurable. I still do free 15-minute consultations with people. So that's another thing that you could promote and have people kind of drive to. So if someone actually schedules that, shows up, that's a nice data point that you can calculate back. But for me, the other point, I think you need to do multiple things. So if all you do is spend money on Facebook and hope that that's going to be, it's kind of like hoping that your your word of mouth is going to be enough. One thing is never going to be enough. You need to have a more diversified approach. And what I like a lot, especially for people in a, maybe in Manhattan, this wouldn't be the greatest thing, but for most practices that are not in these hyper-concentrated civilization areas, I go out and I try to meet everyone that has any association with health and well-being. So you would think, well, you go to all the physicians because they can send you patients. So I go to the person that owns a small Pilates studio. I go to speak to a massage therapist. And those people, in all honesty, they refer more people to me than physicians. And it's very simple to meet with those people. Meeting with doctors is a nightmare. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's awkward. It's difficult. You know, one out of 10 is like a great click and it's like fantastic. The other nine times, you kind of feel like a fool. I mean, it. that's how I feel anyway. So I still do it and I accept the fact that I'm probably going to feel like a fool standing there in the waiting area with my <laughs> business cards and brochures. And yeah. But at least, you know, they have a face to go with like my brand name, you know? And yeah, yeah. Look it up at that. But when I go see a massage therapist, I'll bring her a coffee or him a coffee. We have, we talk about muscles, we talk about, and then every week I get people from there. And it's so simple, right? And it's yeah, it's like, and I mean, you think about the type of money that I'm spending on Facebook and on on Google. I just get a three dollar coffee. It's still too much money for coffee, but yeah. Well, it's the time. It's probably the more expensive part, just because you can't. The three dollars you can earn it back, but the time is the real issue. I bet. 
And remember when I said, you know, so what is kind of like the next step? Because now I work with a physical therapist assistant, we're knocking it out and we're working a lot of hours. I just can't free up a lot of time to do marketing. I still do. I mean, I still do at least four hours out of my week now for marketing. So the next step when I hire a PT, I'm going to take a day out and it's going to be per week or per per week. Per week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to knock out Wednesday. I'm not going to see patients on Wednesday, and I'm going to spend the entire Wednesday promoting my clinic. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet with people. Do. I have, you know, and another thing that I thought was pretty interesting is I joined a networking group called BNI. They're everywhere mm-hmm. in the United States, actually, franchise. Yep. My group, they all meet once a week. My group meet, meets on Wednesday at 11, and then we go to 12. And I've been doing that from the very beginning. And that alone has. I mean, I don't know how many patients, but more than 20, at least two a month that I get from that investment of my time and energy contribution to that group. But to me, it's kind of like nuts not to do those kinds of things. Um, it yeah. makes yeah. perfect sense. And I think it's also good for you. You get out of your clinic, you hear what other people are doing. You need to get out there. Yeah, You need to get outside of your clinic. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.